You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Adriana Linares, and welcome to the Florida Bar's edition of Special Reports. Today's show is being recorded on location during the Florida Bar's winter meeting at Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista Hotel. We're here to cover this event and bring its highlights to you, our listeners. Joining me today is Mr. Sean Vincent. Hey, Sean. What's happening, Adriana? Hey, man. Thanks for coming by. It's very cool to get some of your very, very limited time. I appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about why your time is so limited. What do you do out there? Why is my time limited? Well, I'm the communications director for O'Mara Law Group, which means I'm essentially the communications director for Mark O'Mara, who is a CNN legal analyst and came to national fame through his representation of George Zimmerman in the Zimmerman case last year. And um, I have a little insider knowledge, so I'm going to ask questions that normal interviewers might not get to ask you. That's fine. The way you got around to becoming the director of communications for O'Meara Law is pretty cool. Tell us how that happened. Yeah, so I made it up and snuck my way in the back door. (laughs) Mark and I were in the same Rotary Club. And at that particular time, I was managing an IT company and doing internet marketing projects uh, as a freelancer at large. And the title of my business card at that time said Technology Advocate. And I had an opportunity to give a presentation at the Rotary about technology, uh, the culture gap between what technology can do and what people understand it can do, and how that's going to disrupt industries like the automobile with the self-driving car. Right. And afterwards, he asked me how I thought technology might disrupt the legal field, and I didn't have any clear answers. I had some hypotheses. Uh, and anyways, that was a precedent. It wasn't a month later that I found out Mark had taken the right. Zimmerman case. I went online. I saw his website. I saw his Twitter page. I saw his Facebook page. I saw everything that people were saying about that, and it was a nightmare. It was a mess. It was You threw true, your cape on. True, well, I threw my cape on. I tried to call him, but there have been so many phone calls that his phone server crashed. I tried to email him, <laughs> but the press had hacked into the network, and the wow. email was bouncing back. I called his cell phone, and it went right to voicemail. Voicemail was filled up. So because we were in Rotary together, and I was trying to conscript him to be a part of the Technology and Communications Committee, we were friends on Facebook. Uh, I was able to send him good a... Good old FB. I was able to send him a message, a private message on Facebook saying, if you need help with this, let me know. A few days later, he sent me a message saying, yeah, why don't you come out <laughs> in the office? And I'll tell you, I pitched him what I'd pitch a small business that had a communications problem, and that is you need a blog and you need a presence on social media to interact it. He said, I think you're right. Uh, he called the Florida Bar and asked their opinion. They said, you know, we don't know. This is new stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll watch with keen interest. Then we hit the ground running. We, we launched the website. We launched the Twitter feed. We had a Facebook page for a while. Uh, and then we wrote a seven-point media policy that remained uh, fundamentally unchanged throughout the case and informs how we move forward today. So going through the journey and the wild ride that was that case, you must have learned a lot about how to deal with helping lawyers when this sort of situation comes up, even on a small scale. Like, this was a pretty unusual scale that this happened. But what about on a smaller scale? On a small scale, you know what? Here's the deal is that with today's technology, everything has potential to become large scale. And you you have to interact with the local press 
who is covering a court hearing that probably isn't of much interest outside of your community, the same way that you'd treat Scott Pelley if he came down from New York, from CBS, to talk to you about it. Because as soon as it gets posted on the local news website, then the national has access to it. Anyone in the world has access to it. So any story can be a national story. And you have to treat them with the same respect. You have to give it the same gravity. Right? Yeah, that, no, so, I definitely get so it. So when you boil right down to it, what you're looking at is knowing what you can say, knowing what you can't say, demonstrating respect for the legal system. Right. Uh, and always telling the truth. The nightmare those is if like you... Those seem like pretty easy rules to follow. Like, like you follow those rules, follow. you're not going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, the, the problem is once the pressure's on... Yeah. And you know, and I've seen lawyers who are amazing trial lawyers. They have zero problem standing in front of a jury or a venari of 120 potential panelists and a judge. Uh, but there's something about that blank stare right. of the camera, the the lights if they're there, the, all the microphones in your face that can just turn your mind into yeah, putty. No. And, and then there's this phenomenon that a reality television show producer talked about. You know, he'd see, he'd run these reality shows and people, he'd tell that they were acting for the cameras. They weren't being authentic. And he always was uh, mystified by that. But he found himself in a situation where he was at a ball game with like his ex-wife, her best friend, and like some other guy. But they, they come around beforehand to say, okay, you two, will you do the kiss camera? Okay. And then they write down your seat numbers, right? Uh-huh. And then later on the kiss camera comes and you do it. Well, they got up, got some hot dogs, come back, change seats. They're in the wrong seats. Not on purpose. So the kiss camera came on, okay. and it's this guy and his ex-wife's best friend. And it's, you know, kiss camera. <laughs> and like, this is the most inappropriate thing to do is to kiss your ex-wife's <laughs> best friend. But the whole stadium right. is there looking for Pressure's it. What do you on. do? You, you kiss the girl, right? No. And, and there's a situation where... You did, he ex- did the wrong thing because the camera right. was on, the pressure was but, there. But when all of a sudden there's media attention on a case, it. there's this feeling where you know what the cameras want and you know what the outside narrative is and there's this impulse that's inexplicable to play into that. Right. And the what you have to do is you have to fight through it. And you have <laughs> to remember you have to remember that you are an officer of the court. Right? And right. that that uh, you represent for this moment the entire justice system. Right to the people who are watching. And so if you don't show respect for that, if you stray away from why you got in the law in the first place. Right. You're going to make those mistakes. You have to, you have to go back to that. And, and the, the easiest thing to do is to let people know what you can't talk about first. And then you can sell Set them the on why rules. you can't talk. Sure. And then yeah. they'll accept what you can. And there's so many things you can still talk about. Well, so. and I just don't think anyone's done it better than Mark and you during this whole experience. And then, of course, after. I mean, it's been really impressive. Very honorable way of handling. Well, I won't fight hard to refute you on that. Okay, well... You shouldn't, because it's a great compliment. So a few months ago, maybe it was even longer, I don't remember, but you invited us to come and watch you give a presentation called The Social Media Defense of George Zimmerman. That's right. Which I just loved. That presentation was awesome. I want to ask you to tell us a little bit, just a little bit about that one, but then I'm going to ask you to tell us about the presentation that you're giving here at the Wild Wild Tech Conference. Sure. Well, there's so much about the social media. Why don't you tell me something that stood out to you, and I'll... uh, um, you know, I think it was deciding, and, and maybe a lot of it goes back to what you just said, which was being honest, having integrity, remembering why you know a, a lawyer takes a position to, to defend yeah. someone like George. And I think it was listening to you guys figure out how to handle the negativity that you would see in the social media fields. Sure. Okay. I mean, so, feeds. so and, and I think that's a good question because that cuts right to the heart of you know what guides us. The truth about social media and even managing all media these days is listening. 
listening, listening, right? You have to take the time to look at as much as you can and look at it objectively, right? Obviously, we're advocates yeah. and we have a side, right? Uh, and that affects how people interpret what we say because we're biased. Sure. We, we can't help to be. It's our job. Uh, but you have to listen to what people say. Everybody's uh, – a sociologist once told me everyone's opinion is valid, it might be wrong, but it's valid to because them. it comes from a place mm-hmm. of uh, earnestness generally. So we listened to everything people had to say. I, I have a tool I like called Hootsuite, mm-hmm. which allows me to monitor hashtags and handles and right. trends and keywords. And I multiple columns of this. And I called that the wall of hate <laughs> during our case right. because 90 percent awesome. of what anyone had to say about it was was negative and sometimes scathingly negative sure. to where uh, grown no men on the blushed. Right. But people were telling the truth very often even when it wasn't what I wanted to hear. And so what I was able to do is I was able to understand that essentially, depending upon your point of view, there are four distinct impressions of who our client was. And uh, there are some distinct impressions about who Mark O'Mara was, who the defense was, and why and how we were proceeding, right? And so I didn't like all of them. Right. Right. But here's the thing is I couldn't refute is that the way the story was told, you know, and we're never going to we're not going to retry this case for the rest of our lives. But there are certain facts that were distorted or misrepresented in the case. And those contributed to some impressions that justified the way people felt about the race component of the case. And when you when you have this perception that somebody was shot because of the color of their skin and then leaders come. To our little sleepy town. Of course. And you're having civil rights rallies and public protests that are in the righteous tradition of the civil rights rallies that led to the great changes that we had in the 60s. Um, You combine with that anyone who's ever been profiled or been discriminated against or anyone who's ever loved somebody who's Mm -hmm. been profiled or discriminated against and you know that whether or not it's true in this case that it happens and it's true and all the elements are there for me to connect the dots to create what I call a truth with a capital T. It's the truth you know in your heart. It's the truth that you've authenticated through your own life experiences and has been authenticated by other leaders who have credibility in this field. Here's the lesson. When somebody has a truth with a capital T, a truth that they have in their heart, you cannot dispute that with facts. Hmm. Right? You can't dispute that. No, you go nowhere. You're not right. getting anywhere. And, and the fact is that the even though I don't feel that it properly represented the facts in our case, I also resonate with that truth. I know it to be true in my life. Sure. Even though it wasn't our case. So we found ourselves in a position where we could acknowledge and contribute to the conversation that there is a race problem in America We're and that the criminal justice system exacerbates that race problem. And let's contribute positively to that conversation. And at some point, people will see that the legal conversation goes in a different direction. Interesting. Our nightmare was that we'd get to the verdict that we were fighting for, but people wouldn't understand it and that there would be a violent and nation, nationwide reaction, sure. that we would actually be farther behind 
in rebuilding the race problem in our country than we were right. when we started. Didn't want that. Right. Now, we had to be a zealot advocate for our, our client, but if there was a way to do that and respect the conversation and put ourselves in a position where we could contribute constructively afterwards, then we were going to do that, and I think that we were able to. That's awesome. No, and, and, and that's I can agree with you that's more. Been our passion, that's been our passion since. Well, I think but, you all did a stand-up an amazing job, and I, I mean, we could just talk to you all day about it, and I wish that we had all day, so we should probably do a whole show about this someday. But I want to ask you real quick. You're here. You got invited to be a speaker at Wild Wild Tech, which during the winter meeting, the general practice solo small firm section holds their annual technology conference. What are you speaking about? Right on. Well, we're going to talk about the challenges of dealing with big data, in litigation, and specifically the big data that we'll find uh, in cell phones and in social media. Great. And then we're going to talk uh, in more depth about social media investigations for jury selection and for witnesses in criminal and civil cases. Those sound like great topics. And what I really like about, you know, big data sounds like something that's very scary and that solos and smalls might not be able to handle. But your firm is a small firm. And you guys manage to manage big data coming at you from all sorts of angles and resources and figure out how to use that data in an effective way well, the, the, and information. The first step is admitting that it exists. Sure. And let's use a cell phone for an example. We'll talk about this some tomorrow. The, uh, on a cell phone is so much data that if you were to look through it line by line, you'd spend you know, the next 10 years of your life looking sure. at it. There's no way. And the data is compartmentalized, and it's in different structures. So here's the truth. If you take a cell phone that's in evidence uh, and you have two experts look through it, take the bin file two and dissect it, and they'll be using different softwares yeah. and they'll be coming from different uh, training, they're going to come up with two different data sets, right? And, and they'll probably, in data set A, there'll probably be some information that data set B doesn't have and there's going to be a massive overlap. Right, so that's going to right. happen. But the question is, at what point do you have an obligation to reveal your data set as discovery? You've given the bin file; it's there. Right. You could have gotten it. And I think the standard's probably going to be different in a civil case sure. than it is in a criminal case. And if you don't know that that's happening, yeah, and that that data is there, or that there might be a conflict on what is actually disclosable and how it can be disclosed, then you're just completely trying the wrong case. Well, I just love this topic and love that the attendees of this conference, which are generally solos and smalls, are getting this sort of information. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm always so excited about this conference every year. And I'm glad that you're here. Awesome. So before I let you go, tell our listeners real quick how they can follow you and keep an eye on what you're doing out there on the internet. Okay. Well, I love it. You know, I tweet on Twitter. Excellent. From the at Sean Vincent handle, S-H-A-W-N. Uh, of course, uh, Mark O'Mara has an official Twitter feed. It's um, at Mark O'Mara Law. We have a blog called O'Mara Law Blog where we talk about specifically justice issues. There's not a lot of technology on there. My blog, okay. which is uh, Fourth Sign. What, what does that mean? I was looking at it last night. Fourth what sign is the fourth is sign? The, the fourth sign is... From Jean Baudrillard, who's a French philosopher who talks about postmodern social criticism. And the fourth sign is, it's a little esoteric and hard to get to in, in 30 seconds, but it is the truth with a capital T that's <laughs> okay. authenticated in your heart. We brought it right home. <laughs> that, that may not, that may disguise the fact that there isn't a truth with a little T out there. That's good. But it's more important 
that all the truth is little t. And so you have to acknowledge that it exists uh, or it will eat you It will eat whole. you. Well, it's been a real pleasure t- talking to you, Sean. You're such a neat guy. Thank you so much for coming by and spending some well, time with me. it's been my me. pleasure. I Appreciate do. it. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our time. I want to thank Sean Vincent for joining us today. This has been another Florida Bar edition of Special Reports. I'm Adriana Linares, and until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 